Welcome back to another episode of This is Africa. My name is Adama. Good afternoon. My name is Amiri. Hi, guys. I'm Tamba. Hi, everyone. It's Lloyd. Thank you guys for coming back again. Um, today, we'll be talking about the effects of foreign influence on Africa and the lingering effects of the once piece of sliced continent. No one denies that the atrocities, no one denies the atrocities that happened during the 16th and 19th centuries, but we do know that there are two sides to this. Um, there are tons of people that believe foreign impact on Africa then till now has been more good than bad. And there are people that believe that that same influence has done nothing but hold Africa from its true capabilities and potential. So, um, but before we really get into that specifically, maybe we could get into what happened and how foreign powers got their hands on the continent and the Caribbeans. Um, I mean, you want to? Yeah, so, um, hey, good afternoon. My name is Amiri again. But um, we all know that where Africa is at right now definitely was caused by some historical factors due to European superpowers. So, based on um, superpowers like England or Great Britain at the time, Belgium, France, Spain, Portugal, Germany, um, Netherlands, um, probably some Eastern Bloc European countries, they all play a part in terms of like where Africa is today. So during the early 19th, during the early 19th century or late 19th century, um, led by Belgium, they ho- they hosted the Berlin Conference of 18, 1884. Sorry, 1884. At this, confer- at this conference is where European superpowers met together to scramble for Africa and divide up the continent. Now, we all know that that is very detrimental, being that Africa was not included in that conversation and that their main goals and agenda was for self-interest and self-desires. We all know that these European countries are also very competitive in terms of how much wealth they want to accumulate and that that have been proven, shown historically around the world. Also, the United States also have a part to play in this too, with them and like their Eastern, Eastern imperialistic views on East Asia and and those other countries on the Western on the Western world. You know, <clears throat> however, these superpowers have set up institutions to keep Africa in debt, keep them colonialized. And keep the power in the hands of these European superpowers. Now we could dive into the specifics, but I just want to um, let you guys know the surface level of things and the historical factors about why Africa is where it's at based on these historical factors. Um. Yeah. Nah. So, I guess to your point, um. Yeah, there's there's definitely a ton of outside influence, tons of people that came in and kind of just gripped the continent as a whole um, with different intentions. Well, no, same same intentions. Um, everybody came in to take advantage of what other people had um, without giving them the ability to come and sit down and have a say in it. And I think because of it, Africa has suffered a lot over the years. We've seen tons of, I guess, residual um, you know, effects of this influence. Uh, I guess kind of we can go around and maybe talk about some of the ramifications or some of the things that we've seen as an effect of foreign influence to start. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I agree. I agree. That was well said. You know, just to give it surface surface level, you know, at the Berlin conference, the way they even um, broke up the content, they didn't take in factor the different um, tribes, the different, you know, communities that we live in. They just kind of drew a line and that kind of, you know, Redlining. Yeah, they, they just kind of split it up where they kicked out some communities, like they split communities apart. So now you have different communities that um th- that live together, right? That don't necessarily like each other historically, you know. So when the lines was go- were going through it, you could see that, you know, for example, in West Africa, you know, you have a tribe called the Fulani tribe, and you kind of see them kind of everywhere. Um, in every West African country a little bit, but that's due to how the lines were basically made the countries, yeah, the way they broke it down. So that definitely plays a major factor into um, the conflict between these communities and the different countries. But with that being said, I believe that, you know, now that I'm, I'm here and we're living in a, I guess, more and more globalized world and like living in new york for a little bit you could tell that like different communities could live together so that that's not like a major aspect into why there's conflict i would say there's different sides of it but i think different communities could live together and that shouldn't be the main reason why we have conflict on the continent between communities at first the second thing i wanted to bring about is just you know colonialism you know when they split those lines and it took over in our um in our country they weren't there to you know help them develop they were just there to exploit and ever since the countries got their independence in the 60s you know that would, which was the independence era in Africa these we see these things still going on today in 2021 so i guess that's what that's what we're going to discuss today we're going to get into it more but i want to also get lord's opinion on it real quick though real, real quick sorry just chopping um i guess like to your to your first point that you brought up about um groups of people living together uh i guess like the first thought that came to my head was that like yeah it's true i guess what what time has shown us though is that for one reason i guess the amount of resources like and the environments that groups of people are living in if there's enough resources for everybody to live equally i think definitely people can live together but when you put people in a situation where they're fighting over a limited amount of resources or they're fighting over um what parts of the land that you know people can live off of and grow in um, it makes it much more difficult, I guess. Yeah, I just wanted to do that. Oh, um, also to um piggyback off that point too, um, I believe like say like just human be- be- human behavior in general, people don't ha- don't necessarily have to like each other. Even I don't necessarily have to like you, but the thing is that if you want to have a civilized society, we have to coexist with each other, you know. And I feel like. That is something that the Berlin Conference didn't take into consideration in terms of when they was dividing up Africa and stuff. Is that, yeah, they didn't care to, like, really, they just was caring for resources. But at least if they had played in that factor of, like, at least making peace between certain tribes and ethnicities, is that you could see that, like, certain wars and turmoil would have never happened. You know? It might have, would have, but probably to a less degree. Yeah, but as Adama said, they don't care about that because at the end of the day, they were just all looking at economic incentives when they were splitting up all these countries um, or these territories, which later on became countries because it was either what? It was a competition between the Brits, the French, 
Dutch, Germans, Germans Portuguese, and the Belgians, right? Those were the big players, at least. Those were the big players. And they looked at Africa as basically a piece of meat. And saying, okay, I need this resources. So from this part to this part belongs to the French. This part, this part belongs to the English or the Brits. This part, this part belongs to um, the Dutch. And that's all they, they focused on. They didn't care about no um, different variant ethnic um, communities. Because at the end of the day, too, it wasn't their best interest. If I have you two going at it, fighting each other for frivolous things that looking back at it or in hindsight is not even relevant or it's not even necessary. I, the person who's instigating it, have all to gain. Because at the end of the day, I'm getting the natural resources. I'm gaining the free labor later on, which transpired into the African transatlantic slave trade. And also I am reaping the benefits of a country where no of a um of certain countries and their and their resources. And to me, honestly, it's just, I don't know. I look at this whole thing as a drug deal got wrong, personally. <laughs> no, seriously, because I've never seen That's a, crazy I've never seen a fiend control the market. It's usually the supplier. You know what I'm saying? Because True. how can, you know, a continent sit on so much resources and they're not the ones who are dictating how that resources is either facilitated, priced, or, um, or, or distributed? It makes no sense to me. And it, we can go into this for however long we need to go into this, but it's just honestly, personally, to me, a drug deal gone wrong. I know it's it's a, it's a weird way to say it, but that's how I look at it. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought it up because we could just get into the our arguments now. You know, let's just do it now. Um, so just to give the viewers um a little bit of insight on this as well. So the West African block, so West Africa, which is like kind of like the the horn kind of looking thing of Africa that was colonized by um well 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 not but I'm saying West Africa like the the little like boot. yeah like the boot part the boot the end of the boot that was that was better was uh, colonized by the French you know the French colonized 14 countries in Africa except for two in West Africa except for two which were Nigeria and Ghana which were colonized by the British the British uh, kind of got you know, Southern Africa, which they split with the Dutch. And then the Central Central Africa was part Belgium, part... Fr- no, nah, part Belgium, part French, I think. And then Portugal just got Angola, which is really oil rich. So um, most of these countries that went, like you said, for their resources, I want to focus in a little bit on the French aspect of it because I think they they did the continent the dirtiest. But... Let me get into it. Let me let me show you guys why I think they did the continent the dirtiest. So when the French came in, um, I want to read this quote. Um, I translated it to English so you guys can say it. But an old French president named uh, Jacques Chirac said that, and I quote, We have to be honest and acknowledge that a big part of the money in our banks comes precisely from the exploitation of the African continent. And then he proceeded to say, Without Africa, France would slide down into the ranks of a third world power. So I just want you guys to think about how powerful that is. This was a French, a sitting French president said this about Africa. And let's just get into a little bit of numbers without getting too economical um, today. Um, so the French, um, in the French uh, colonies in Africa, were well, ex-colonies, they're not colonies anymore, 
but the French ex-colonies, they created a currency called the CFA, which stands, which stood for in back in the day, um, colonies, French colonies in Africa, right? So it's the Franc CFA. So just so you guys know, so the agreement was that 50% of the African reserves will be held in a French treasury, plus another 20% of the financial, uh, another 20% for financial li- liabilities, and the currency being printed under this will be printed under the supervision of the French national banks. Right. So just let's just take that in for a second. What, like what? How does that is that even possible? So this was back in the day, and you would think like, oh, it's over now, but it's still going on today in 2021. All the reserve, 50 percent of the reserve, have to be in the French Treasury from the 14 African countries they colonized, right? And they don't control how much money they're printing. Like it is that that's just to me that's just crazy to even think about. You know, first on the first, and you know, it makes it so that. It stunts the growth, basically, because, you know, if you know a little bit about uh, the economy, you know that devaluing your money in order to, you know, gain from trade is what ultimately helps you be stay competitive in a market and for you to make some type of profit. We cannot do that without the French permission, France's permission. There needs to be the permission for Paris to tell us what to do. Um, another thing. Question. Yeah. That's to this day. To this day, this is going on. To 2021, as we speak, it's going on. There have been uh, moves to try to change it, but it's been very, very, very hard. Um, also, another thing is that, like, in order to grow, you know, we don't even control our own, you know, banks, our own budget, our own economic policies. They all have to come from Paris. Paris needs to give us the 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 go ahead for us to be able to do it. You know, so you can see that, you know, we're not colonized, they're not there, but they still get to control everything. This is why when you see um, you know, people getting riled up and mad at our African leaders that they're not doing anything, it's cause in those West African countries that were colonized by France, France controlled everything economically. You know, even um when they say that um for example France um is giving foreign aid to uh, those African countries, it's, it's just the use of our own wealth, right? So they get basically a credit line, right? With the condition that we use French equipment, French contractors, and the French firms. So they, they basically, cre- yeah, they create the rules, right? And we have to use everything in France. So the money is ultimately going back to France, back to France. which means that we still owe them money when they even give us the aid. Now, mind you, on different aid packages, it may defer, but this is just generally how how it goes. Um, and also, the last thing I wanted to bring up is that French firms have dips on the resources found in Africa in those 14 countries. So the new resources, let's say they find a new oil, uh, uh, yeah, a new um, oil reserve in Mali, let's give for example. The French companies have dips on it. They get to decide, right, who can go on it first, right, who can get it first. And then we, in order to sell our own resources, we need... Paris's approval to sell it on the market, and not only that, Paris is—they're the ones that set the prices. Like this is this is crazy. I want to hear you guys' opinion about it before I go even further. But this is ridiculous. Um, well, I mean, before I even give my opinion, I, there's another story that came up that attaches to that, and I don't know how much. Um, well, we, we we know we see how much France has like I guess like grounded themselves into the 
the economic frame, the, the legal frame of itself, because I don't even know what type of legal battle that is to even remove them, that type of attachment. Yeah. But um, even the British have their hands in that area, like Senegal, um, with BP a few years back, where tons of oil was found. And for some reason, none of the money, billions of dollars worth of oil came back to the people. All of it went straight to BP. And I forget his first name, but his last name is Timis. I guess he's the owner or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But somehow, some way, legally grounded, all of the oil rights came to him and then all of the royalties that come after that. And the value of oil just continues to, like, it just goes up. Like, in the, when he, I think he bought it for somewhere in the lower billions. And through the course of the years, it will grow and grow and grow and it'll enter double figures and it'll enter triples and it'll be over $300 billion worth of oil. And it's like, none of that will be seen by the people at all. And that, that to me is just insane. Um, yeah, that's abusing. I'm a whole my opinion. <laughs> yeah, that that to me that is abusing your power to the second degree. Like, I don't I don't know what's a solution to combat that problem, but I know there needs to be some type of accountability be held by these superpowers, or at least give back some type of relief and help these African countries build up the economies. You know, you know what I mean, because. That foreign influence in Africa in a whole have a lot of raw materials and it's very rich in even in soil. Soil, culture, people, raw materials, and land. And for a country as small as like Belgium, France, England, Spain, Portugal, Germany to be controlling the whole continent, that is and accumulating all the wealth out of that continent, that is mind boggling. So I don't know if what you guys what you guys think about that. Yeah, I mean, just just to be fair, um, in the past the the Belgium did do a lot of hurting, but you know you could see that like countries like Portugal and such have kind of like slowed down on what they're doing, depending on the country. You could see that the the French are really the people that are still staying with these rules. They made it so that they're like they control every single aspect. That's why even if you see um some of these um. Country, I, I hear a lot of researchers do the argument between French colonies and British old British colonies, and you can see that the French colonies are doing much worse than the British colonies. Even in West Africa alone, let's look at it: Ghana and Nigeria. They're they're doing far better than most of the countries yeah. in West Africa. Nigeria, I think, has the biggest economy in Africa as a whole, even past South Africa now. Yeah. So, like that's that you could see that the there's something the French did. That definitely didn't um, doesn't line up. And the thing I I can say they did is that they, they're involved in the economy almost, you know, presently, even to this day. While the British kind of let the countries kind of govern themselves, which yeah. yeah. And also, too, the French also made it a way that all their wealth is acquired by the colonies. You know, so even like for example, with the um, Haitian Revolution. That revolution really crippled the French economy in terms of how much wealth they was getting from Haiti. So that's why they sold the Louisiana Purchase to the U.S. to make up, make back that money so that they could pay it. So they could make more money from the U.S. And then that's why they put Haiti in a lot of sanctions. And um, that that's why they make them limit their importing and exporting to like cripple the economy because basically as like a consequence for hurting friends you know so and that to me that is very like petty and self-conniving you know like 
So if I ask, I guess to TK's point, um, I guess bringing up when you brought up the fact that Nigeria and Ghana are doing, I guess, better um, relatively in comparison to like other Western countries that may have been colonized by France or Britain. I, I, I'm, I'm sure we, we all don't agree with the whole scramble for Africa and colonialism as that in its core. But who's done the better job if we have to come to any type of would we say then by definition the the british did good things for africa because nigeria is in a position unlike we've ever seen for an african country so i don't know i mean yeah it it actually depends on how you look at it so (laughs) i'm not saying it's 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 it's, uh it's a good thing but in terms of let's say uh inflation or hyperinflation like most most uh most countries that were under uh french rule do not have to experience that while other countries who were under different colonial powers such as um the brits or uh or the dutch um have to have to experience experience high level of inflation or in some cases like in zimbabwe who try to adopt a u.s economic policy um have to had to experience um massive hyperinflation so that's the silver lining, I want to say. But, again, I don't agree with, you know, having access to the printing power of um, of a country because that destabilizes the country as a whole in terms of economic growth. Um, but in terms of, again, just looking at it in hyperinflation-wise, um, at least it's stable. That's what I'm saying. Okay. So I, I have a question for you because th- th- this is a, these are the type of arguments that, you know, Make me upset. So today I'm going to try to keep my composure and I'm not going to get out of hand. <laughs> you know what I mean? But so what What do you mean by silver lining? So is is that a good thing that you keep a country on their knees? That's a good thing just, just for the economy to be stable, stunt the development. Silver lining means. No, is, that's what I'm saying. Is that what's the silver lining here? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not saying that putting a country on their knees. Is is a good thing, no. But if you see how, for example, clear, clear case Zimbabwe, if you see the amount of hyperinflation that they had to go through, where just a loaf of bread costs a, a ridiculous amount of Zimbabwe dollars, compared to let's say that happening in Senegal or in in in, in Mali, like come on, like I get it that you, of course you are just um, handicapping a a country's economy. But at the end of the day, it's not in shambles. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. But lining. in relative concepts, yeah, <laughs> y'all doing better than Zimbabwe. Well, the economy, I mean, if you if you look at it, you know, the way media portrays Africa, the economies are in shambles already. Um, I just want to say with Zimbabwe, you know, the the uh they had they had a, a dictator in Mugabe for, you know, much of the independence. So that was kind of his his fault. He takes the blame for that because he let his government let those things happen through corruption and such things. In these in our in our in the fourteen West French colonies I was talking about, some of these people are experiencing political unrest, coups and things like that when they want to make change, when they want to develop their their country. So good. All right. They helped us get stable for a little bit, but why is it why is it keep going on since after nineteen sixty? You know, we're in twenty twenty one. Why should this keep going? Because clearly People are intelligent enough, you know. We have intellectuals on the continent that go to Harvard and all these 
great schools, economies that could develop the that could develop the country. And there's formulas for it. You know, no, even though the, I don't think the argument should be, oh, there's a silver lining. I think the argument should be that we should encourage our countries to develop. The silver lining argument doesn't really pertain to this because it doesn't matter. People are still starving. People are still living in third world conditions. Like it doesn't, you know, or developing. Sorry for being sensitive, but that's not like a silver lining that goes. And also, let's not, let's not. Yeah, go ahead, Lama. I mean, I just want to just just like a little bit of to Lord's point, so silver lining, like just a like I guess I'm just talking I'm just about it in a relative concept. Yeah. That's it, just relative. concept. Speaking of every country individually, not as a whole. Like in his to his point, Nigeria, I guess has silver linings, and because they're not like you know at the end of the day, in comparison to the rest of the world, there's no African nation that's on top of everything else. But in Nigeria versus a country maybe like Angola. If you're doing better than somebody, there's silver linings <laughs> by definition. Like, and even to my point, it, uh, again, TK, I, Tamba, I, I get everything <laughs> that you're saying. your real name. <laughs> I get everything that you say 100, 100%. But for me, I I think a bigger problem to, to, to what you're saying about um, France owning the printing or owning the rights to the printing of um, African countries' um, currency or money is the influence of foreign direct investments. Because for me, I feel like that's the bigger problem. Yeah, you have to explain that to people. Because here's the thing. So with, with, with foreign direct investment... Yeah, what is it? All right, so foreign direct investment is when either a IGO, international government organization, or when a uh, Western power or a developed country decides to invest in a developing country, such as developing countries in, in Africa, for... A serious amount of things, so either infrastructure, healthcare, um, uh, other other things that are supposed to give economic um, outputs to grow the the economy. However, it comes with so much fine, so much, so many fine prints that even though yes, foreign direct investment has a good PR, if you look closely behind it, in terms of mismanagement of funds, and that's more so with the um, with most African countries and their governments and how they um, manage the resources. And in terms of who gets to benefit from it, I believe that foreign direct investment, although in theory can be good, it can actually be destabilizing to a country. Because at the end of the day, although you're giving money to these countries to develop, how is it being allocated? Or who actually gets the right to do certain things? Because even Tamba said it, where they'll give you the money, but then I'm bringing workers from my own country to do it. So even though it's supposed to, quote unquote, yield economic output, nobody's having any form of socioeconomic mobility because money's not going to stray into their pockets because they're outsourcing labor from a different country and bringing it into these developing countries in Africa and getting all the benefits from it whilst the African people are unemployed and are looking for ways to either get a job or to have some form of better living standards, or to grow themselves up economically, to have better living standards. So for me, I think a bigger problem in conjunction with um, France having control over the printing of um, Western Francophone countries, foreign direct investment, I, I believe, is a bigger issue. Um, I guess when we speak about like foreign direct investment, I guess that's maybe what it's happening 
predominantly today. Um, so I guess when, the big question is like, I guess to specify specifically, what are superpowers doing today? Because when we speak about the British, we speak about them, they kind of are hands-free a little bit. They're not as like super like, oh yeah, we're here and pulling strings and like, which I don't think is necessarily true. I'm sure behind the scenes is definitely a lot more going on. I'm sure maybe they're more involved in different ways. Um, obviously just my theory, but when we look at them, like for example, when we look at the situation with SARS, um, at the end of the day, that's a, that's, there are a lot of different factors within that, but the police there are frustrated, not defending them, but frustrated because they're not being paid well enough. Um, frustrated because money isn't coming in. I guess when I look at, when I ask, when I ask out loud, what are superpowers doing today? And I think of countries like Britain for one, like who colonized Nigeria, I think they're doing nothing. And that's almost the same thing as, as, as being just as involved as France is in other countries by allowing stuff like that to happen when you've put countries, when you like leave after you like, you know, establish something in a country and you leave them in shambles and give them nothing to actually like, you know, start a solid framework off of all the effects that happen is your fault. And like by doing nothing and coming back and not doing anything to come back in there and help people out, you allow things like SARS situations to happen and they have a role in that. It's not just African government leaders because they're in a tough position because of foreign influence. Okay, I I disagree with that, but I'm gonna tell you why. Because um, when so you basically are getting into um the social and political effects these the foreign influence does. Um, you guys know such economic impacts as well. Yeah. Right? So yeah. Points. So yeah. So my my thing about that is that, for example, right there there's it's it's two sides to it, right? So on one end, you know, for example, if you go into these um 14 French nations, right, that that France colonized, they don't want France there anymore, right? That's the one end. And to your point, you know, some of the things that are occurring, and that's what we're discussing, is because of what they did in the past. Those are some of the lingering things that we're seeing. On the other end is that these some of these leaders – you know, don't even have to, you know, adhere to the people anymore. And that's scary. You know, in order to be in power, all you need to do is play the game France wants you to play. And now you're in power. So if you say something like, oh, you know, the British didn't get involved in it. The, the British is people are not the state. That That is a Nigerian problem. And therefore, you have to blame the government. An example I'm going to give um, with the French colonies as well is that um in Mali, for example, how many, you know, or in just in general, how many leaders have we seen, you know, disappear in Africa, get killed in Africa by, well, allegedly, allegedly, by, <laughs> by, yeah. by the French um, government, so to speak, or French intel, forces Fr- French right. forces. I'm just going to say by French forces because they didn't play the French game when it came to that question about. So how can you blame the leader, though? Uh, by that argument, how can you blame somebody well, I- who's stuck? With like basically a gun to his head. Yeah, but I'm saying the leader has to make a decision before you come into office. You know this is happening. You we like if we can figure out that the France is you know uh, using us as like uh, puppets. puppets, right? The leaders can figure it out. This this is an oath they took to come help the people. You know the 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 framework of the game needs to change. We need to change the rules of how we're dealing with these foreign nations such as France and other countries. For example, um. Because they, 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 you can't rely on France to to stay in power. But more often than not, our leaders not chosen. What do you mean? Like it's it's not a lot of the time. It's not like America where you have people like Barack Obama who sits down at a certain age is like, yeah, I want to become president and just goes off on this thing. Like 
I feel like in African politics, it's more so. Yeah, we think this guy will be the perfect one for this job. Um, no, I mean they and it's, other foreign things prop you up to yeah, put you in that position. Yeah, like but there's that, no way you enter that office without like, without being entangled in all the other stuff. Well, that 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 was a possibility in the past, and in some African countries, you are right that is happening. But if you look at a country like Ghana, you know Nana Akufo, he, he came into power fine, but that's due to you know, uh, the ex-president, what J.J. Rollins did, he kind of basically cut Western ties. And that's what led Ghana to actually, you know, develop to a certain point. You know, when when our leaders got our independence, right, they wanted to cut these ties. They wanted to develop the industries, the natural resources we have on our own. I uh, Going back to what Laura said about foreign direct investment, we wouldn't need those if we could, we could trade our own resources with our own, you know, at our own means, you know, we if we have to go through somebody else, of course, we now we have to rely on foreign direct investment. You know, but but they shouldn't be the ones to control everything. And politically as well, people, it should be just like a democracy. We should vote to put our leaders in, hold our leaders accountable. But I get what you're saying. The leaders have a tough job to do. And I give them a I try to give them a break, but we can't have if if like for example, if the French government can back backed um a president in Mali, and he stayed in power for 23 years. Mm. You know, and the country's not going to develop because you're just giving the French what they want. You you don't need the people anymore to stay in power. All you need is the backing of the French. You know, that's that's why when an issue arises in um in Africa, like 40, there's been 40 military French military operation across Africa, 40 since the 1960s, since these countries got their independence. Why why did they go there? Because France is their back. They're the one that Basically, their the father. It's like when I go, when I I don't have money anymore, you know, I, I'm broke. Now I got to look for a second source. I have to go to an uncle or a dad or something instead of actually working on the problem, getting a job and getting the money. So that's kind of the relationship we have between us and France. It's still a father, and you know, the the narrative is still that the African countries cannot govern themselves. They need the 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 West or their former colonizers to come help them because whenever a problem arises. People will come protest in France first before they even go protest in, in their respective countries. And that cannot happen. And I also want to leave you with the quote. Um, the Italian Deputy uh, Prime Minister Luigi De Maio said in um, 2019, he accused France of manipulating economies of the form, former their former colonies and impoverishing those countries. You know, and that's what's encouraging people to migrate to Italy, for example. Like, all that has to do with the migration. Why Why do they want to go to Europe? Because they can't create those opportunities for themselves. So ultimately, by letting Africa develop, yes, um, like I said before, uh, Jacques Chirac, the old president of France, said that, you know, without Africa, France would basically slide down. But Africa needs to develop. It's 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 kind of, it, our people, this can't happen anymore. You know, we need, we need to be allowed to develop. And until those foreign ties are cut off in the way they are right now for example giving us the freedom of our currency create printing our own money even though lord raised a good point there is a silver lining because we, we don't go we're not going yeah hyperinflation and we're not going into shambles but give us the opportunity don't think don't have the mentality that african leaders cannot lead their countries you know they can't lead due to you know the corruption that's there and i could get into that more a little later but another country that i think we should get into is china the presence of china now that's going on i don't know if any of you guys want to bring that about and talk about a little bit of the relationship let's talk china 
because that's where my point because here's the thing too of course yes um colonial power do have influence in um in africa in african countries but there are also new players coming in we got china and let's not forget during the 60s and 70s russia too was in the background and at that time too, if it's either you was playing ball with the United States or you're playing ball with the Russians, and some of our African leaders were playing ball with the Russians, and America didn't like that. Well, we know what happened. But going back to China, um, in terms of foreign direct investment, so they'll give. It's kind of like what happened with the financial crisis in 2008. So just conceptualizing or bringing the backdrop, where you know you don't have the means to pay this loan back. But just because I'm going to profit off this loan in the future, I'm going to give it to you. So in this type of situation, there's no such thing as a fiduciary responsibility in terms of. uh, So fiduciary responsibility basically means that you are um, giving sound financial advice or you're doing um, financial um, activity in the best interest of your client or whoever you're giving money to. Um, But they see this as profits. So, for example, if let's say. You know, Amiri does not have the means to pay me pay me back, and I know that I I know that he can't. I'm still going to give him this loan, hike his interest rate up, and if he's not able to pay back, whatever Amiri owns is mine. Same concept. Let's put it on a, on a global scale with China. I am going to give a country like Djibouti, right, mm-hmm. billions of trillions of billions of dollars, right, saying that oh, it's to it's to build the 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 country's economy up. It's to it's, it's, it's for foreign direct investment. It's for, it's for infrastructure. But knowing very well that they have uh, uh, a weak government system where you know that there's going to be a lot of investment. You know that it's not going to go into the right economic inputs to yield high economic outputs as they say it is. And the next thing you know, you can't pay your loans back. And guess what happens when you can't pay your car back? You get repossessed. Your ports get repossessed. Your your trade routes get repossessed. Literally, that's what it is. Is repossession? Is it? And and it mind boggles me because why would you sign the dotted lines owning a country like China for a hundred years? Come on, <laughs> how sway? Yeah, uh, yeah. Pertaining to China, you know, Lord, I can Lord gave a perfect example of what's what is going on, but. I want to take a little bit of the blame of China. I want to put it on us as Africans and our leaders. This is different than the case that happened during colonization. Because colonization, they came in and they literally took everything. It was the war. They came in. They came with their military. They came in and they took over. In China, what the Chinese are doing, they're coming in and they're offering deals. Meaning that our leaders have a choice whether to take the money or to not take the money. So the blame ultimately comes on us. There's been countries that refuse the loans from China, right? And are trying to figure out another way. Something that is very appealing about the loans the Chinese give them is that you don't need to have good human rights in your country. (laughs) You don't need to be a democracy. China will give you money no matter what. If the leader asks for it, they, they will give it to them, right? And some of these leaders, to lower point, they put like some of their assets as collateral. So the land or anything or ports or, or whatever the Chinese want at the time, they, they will ask for that as collateral just in case. Now, like Laura said, they know they cannot pay. So if you cannot pay, 
don't sign the dotted line. Don't make the deal. Now, that's that's hard to say because some of the African leaders do, some of the countries do need the money because China, the money that we get from China is bringing a lot of relief to these communities. The Chinese go into communities or give money to be invested into communities that even us Africans will not go into, you know, in rural areas. They will go there and develop those areas and make them look like New York. That's just hyperbole, but they'll make it look, they'll make it look better. You know, and to those populations, it's relief and it's a good PR stunt, you know, at the time. But later, when you can't pick the money back, you see that more and more Chinese people are coming into your country and they're creating their own little communities within the country. Right. So that that's the bad part. But the good the good side from the Chinese, they're they're actually in a way giving the government the opportunity to do do their own thing as opposed to like I know I've been harsh on the French lately. But as opposed to the French, where they just don't even give you the opportunity, they just take over. And then they will say, oh, your government is not stable enough. Oh, they cannot govern themselves. But is that really the case? And also, I want to mention that China is the biggest trading partner with Africa in the recent years. So they're kind of pushing. France is kind of losing um, a stronghold on that and the, Brit- uh, the British as well. Yeah, um, not only Africa, too, but they're a big trading partner with the Caribbean, too. I know even like. Say you're trying to do a business deal with a Caribbean country to build, like, say, a stadium or some type of infrastructure. A huge problem is that they're not employing the actual citizens of that country. They're actually bringing Chinese people from China to build that infrastructure. Therefore, the the actual citizens of that country is not is being unemployed. You know, so it's like, what's the point of doing this deal if you can't employ my citizens? You know, that's a big thing that happened in um Trinidad too. You know, where um. Like I think it's a stadium or some type of infrastructure is being built, and the Chinese actually bought their equipment, workers, everything to build that, you know. And then China had to pay China for that, you know. Uh, Jamaica is having a huge dispute with China too, pertaining to that and that and on especially business wise. So that's another thing, a problem with China and their post globalism, imperialistic, <laughs> colonialism views. So. Yeah. I mean, going to, to Tiki's point, I believe it's the same thing. Honestly, yes, I know you want to blame you want to blame the leaders, but also if you're an elected official or you get into power and you say you're going to bring economic growth to the country, and you have the opportunity to to do that, because guess what? If you don't perform, they're going to take you out. So you're getting the opportunity to get this money to 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 develop your country yeah sure but now it's more so of like the bargaining power in this whole situation who has more bargaining power than um in the in these contracts or looking at it in the, in the sense of you got to make sure that even if you take this loan you put it into into the right economic um inputs in order to yield those you know infrastructure and you know um high gdp rate and all that all that nice fun stuff. You need to put it into actual assets that will actually generate that. If not, then that's where it becomes it's it's kind of like good debt and bad debt. You know, it's good debt when you put it into things that actually make you money in the long run. It's bad debt where you put it into something where it does not use your money and then now not only you owe, but you have to pay more than you took out. I kinda like what China's doing or even what is going on right now in terms of let's say what what China's doing or foreign direct investment, I feel like is Literally neo-colonialism, you know, now we don't have to be messy in terms of coming into somebody's territory and just taking over because that would cause to, you know, everybody's in everybody's business now. So they don't want no bad light on them, you know, so doing it subtly, even though it's there, you cannot 
it's it's not very tangible. You know what I'm saying? So they they could be able to get a, a, a get away with it more often. More often. I mean, the point that I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to make is that with these type of loan, with these type of foreign direct investment, I I believe that we shouldn't rely heavily on it. I believe that gov- governments, most African governments, should invest in themselves and and make sure <laughs> and make sure that while we invest in ourselves we invest into different part of our economy that could yield actual products because look we got the we got the labor we, we got the labor and the, the labor capital over there we have a lot of young untapped potential use it cultivate it water it geminate it literally we have untapped Outside the untapped potential of natural resources, well, not untapped because it's already tapped in, but we have the untapped potential of a huge labor force that other Western countries or developed countries are seeing and looking at it right now. And if African countries don't recognize that and capitalize on it, well, it's, I mean, it's not an issue of recognizing. I'm sure, I'm sure we recognize it. It's how we're going to do it with all these, you know, these claws on us holding us back like not letting us run you know that's that that's what i was talking about and the reason it's not neo-colonialism lord is because i believe that they that our leaders have a choice ultimately they, they have a choice and that's what i wanted to bring up and i also wanted to bring up a brief story or, or make a distinction since we're running out of time just make a quick distinction when we talk about france um we're not and china and all that we're not directly talking about um the French government per se, more their corporations as well. You know, we, we want to make that dis- distinction because so if aid is coming directly from the French government, it's usually a good thing. It's usually they're really there to help. It's the corporations that we're focusing on. When, for example, when Switzerland sends aid to an African country, it's usually a good thing. The state of Switzerland, these corporations are the ones really doing the damage because they're money hungry, but they do it because the laws are in their favor by their people. And the reason why we mention the government so much is that they they're the ones that need to make the change in their policies in order for us to be able to develop. So I wanted to make that clear distinction. And also, I'm just going to slip in there, throw a jab at friends. Let let us change the safer, man. Let us change it, please. You know, we don't need that anymore. It's, it's 2021. We don't need it. Let us develop. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely great, strong points to close. Um, I guess like just to even like just to reiterate that last um thing a little bit when i asked about like what superpowers are doing today to your point they're not doing much of anything they're allowing corporations and companies to do most of the work and by not doing anything you are doing you're you're not helping the problem um but yeah i mean foreign foreign influence is something that's prevalent to this day it gets more and more prominent every day every minute every second as the deals pile in as they go in and out um, it's negative. We think we came to it's negative. Yeah, no, nah, I mean, in, in its totality, I would say it's doing more negative than positive. Um, or it's just leaving people in a much more stagnant position, which yeah. which isn't growth. And if you're not growing, then by default, negative. Yeah. And we, we'll give credit to people that are doing good. They, yeah, some people are really doing good, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, so to the point, um, everything starts with the people. So again, if you are listening here or whatever it might be, everything starts with the people and demanding. So demand, 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 and with patience things change i guess <laughs> just, yeah just raising so, yeah. awareness but thanks guys you know we have oh yeah i mean now that we're done with all the big words um 
we got us a quick little quiz right here going on. Um, this is a quiz, scramble for Africa quiz. Game um, time. So, all right, here we go. How does industrialization relate to imperialism? A, imperialism convinced industrial countries to increase the production of goods. B, industrialized countries needed more trade partners. Imperialism provided greater opportunities for global trade. C, industrialized countries need markets and resources which can be gained through imperialism. Or D, imperialism pushed for industrial development in Africa due to all the resources on the continent. C. Yeah, I'm going to go with C. You are correct, guys. You are correct. You are correct. I mean, industrial powers definitely play a big role. So, next one. Europeans believe that they had a duty to civilize the uncivilized is a blank motive for imperialism. Political, economic, social, or religious. Ooh, this is a tough one. Is there all of the above? <laughs> <laughs> There's no all of the above. Repeat the question again. So, Europeans believed that they had a duty to civilize the uncivilized is a blank motive for imp- of imperialism. Political motive, economic motive, social motive, or religious motive? Uh, I'm going to say religious. Uh, I'm going to say social. We got social, we got religious. It is a social. It is a social. (laughs) We didn't even make no real clear facts. (laughs) What is this sound? Um, Oh, all right, here we go. Nationalism. This one is a clear definition question here. Um, Nationalism is the belief that one race is superior to another. Um, having pride and loyalty to your nation that your nation is the best and having a connection to others I of common that, interests. Yeah, I think that one be. <laughs> the idea that land is controlled for strategic purposes or the acquisition of land resources and markets. Right. I think it's B. Yeah, I'm going to go with B. Yeah, I know I'm hosting this game, but I'm going to also say B. Um, and we are correct. We are We are correct. We are correct. Thank you, listeners, for enjoying this quiz as well and enjoying this episode of This Is Africa. Um, make sure, again, guys, follow us on Instagram at t.i.a underscore pod. Um, on Twitter, t.i.a underscore pod. Um, Facebook, you can look us up. This Is Africa. Uh, yeah. That's it. Hope you enjoy it, everyone. Peace. Peace. Thank you, guys. Poison us like a long python. Gunfire in 911 guy. We never let the sound up.